0: This week, uh, as Thanksgiving is right around the corner, we kind of tie in a Thanksgiving theme. But I think also you'll find that it's actually going to tie in some of the things that Pastor Nick talked about uh, in his last sermon series, why we do what we do. Let me ask you, how good is your memory? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? My guess is that many of us would struggle to recall If you were here, what was the sermon on last week? Or better yet, if you think about just three days ago, Thursday, only three days ago, what kind of clothes did you wear? (laughs) I'm forgetting things all the time, whether it's even birthdays, milestones. My memory's slipping, but I would propose it's not because I'm aging. With technology, social media, and just the pace of life, our attention span is literally getting shorter and shorter. Our neural system is being rewired. It isn't what it used to be. We're much more likely to forget things quickly today as opposed to 100 or 200 years ago. A German researcher in 1885 named Ebbinghaus came out with the results of a study, and he was basically addressing the question, how quickly do we forget things? And what they found was that after just 20 minutes, somewhere halfway through the sermon, you will have forgotten 50% of what was said. Did you know that after two days, we've lost 70% of our retention? And this study was 100, 200 years ago when we didn't have social media, we didn't have technology, we didn't have internet. Think about how the curve of forgetfulness looks Today, the world now, we disengage and we get kind of blanked out after a, what, two minute Instagram video. We live in a world of short sound bites. TikTok maxes out at, I heard, what, 30 seconds? And probably most people can't go much beyond that. We actually used to remember a lot of important things in my two, slightly more than two years in New York, I was shocked how here in New York City, that on 9-11, how little we honor the fallen victims and even the heroes who participated in that day. And it's almost like it's kinda way back in a totally different era. A culture without remembrance is a culture on decline. My main point today is that we need to remember regularly how, who God is and what he's done. The people of God, as we see in Scripture, were repeatedly told. The word remember is actually found, depending on what translation you use, between 150 to 165 times throughout the Bible, and it is an imperative. God lays out from the beginning, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, a repeated theme and a reminder you need to remember that people of God, as we see in Scripture, would often fail, and they would wildly, vacillate in their faith. If you've heard of a writer named uh, C.S. Lewis, in his book Screwtape Letters, it's about uh, how a senior demon writes these letters to a junior demon. And so Screwtape writes to Wormwood... And there's a couple of quotes about, it's all about how can we mess up these Christians? Listen to what it says on this theme of remembrance. Lewis writes, or screw tape says to the Wormwood, they constantly forget, that's Christians, what you must always remember: that they are animals and that whatever their bodies do affects their souls. It is funny how mortals always picture us as putting things into their minds, and here we go, in reality, our best work is done by keeping things out. He says again, gratitude looks to the past, love to the present, fear, avarice, lust, and ambition look ahead. And I would say we live in a world that often looks ahead rather than looks in the past. And so Satan's main objective is not so much to get you to deny the Trinity, to get you to deny the resurrection. But Satan's key t- uh, method is for you to simply forget, for something to just seep out and dissipate. I just want to set the stage as we go into this narrative that actually covers Joshua 3 and 4. But as you recall, up to this point in the Israelite history, God had miraculously given The Israelites favor in the eyes of Pharaoh, through the plagues, through the Passover, Red Sea parting, and provision even in the wilderness. Time after time again, God does it all. And did you know that even just a few weeks into uh, freedom from Exodus or Egypt, uh, they're saying, man, we wish we had more variety in our diet." To the point where they said, literally, it would be better for us to go back to slavery, back to Egypt, because at least the food was better. And when they saw all the giants up in the promised land, they thought, you know, we're just going to get killed. Let's just go back, and at least we had it good. At least we had it better. Folks, we are in a war of memory. Satan is obsessed with trying to get you to forget while God is at work to try to call you to remember the deeper things of who he is and what he has done in your life and in redemptive history. Let me just bring and call out two verses. Deuteronomy is filled, filled with the imperative of remember. And Moses writes in chapter 4, in verse 9, he says, Only take care and keep your soul diligently. There's diligence, vigilance. In what he's saying, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Oreb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so similar to today. One more verse. Deuteronomy 8, chapter 2. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Why is it so important for them to remember 40 years of wilderness? That he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So we're on the brink of the Jordan River. 40 is a crucial symbolic number throughout Scripture. Anytime 40 is in the Bible, usually it refers to a period of testing. We know that it rained 40 days and 40 nights and flooded the entire earth. Uh, We know that Moses was 40 years old before his narrative begins and having been raised out of the household of Pharaoh and we are introduced into his public ministry. We know that Jesus himself for 40 days and nights was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan while he fasted. We are talking about exactly 40 years of being in the wilderness. And make no mistake about it, God is hammering home the point. Something significant is about to happen, but please don't miss out on physically. You may see the miracle, but spiritually, what is God trying to tell the Israelites as well as you and I? Your faith has to be memorialized without deep remembrance you will either fall into idolatry or at best apathy but everything hinges upon this art of remembrance later after going through the promised land and the conquest uh, the book of judges is about just uh, well, a cycle after cycle in first kings second kings of how you know israel's doing well they remember, they bless God for all he's done, but then they forget and they fall into sin and then there's bad stuff and then they repent and then God reminds them of how amazing he is and what he's done and it's just going on and on and on. And Judges 2.10 is kind of the theme of much of the Old Testament. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers and there arose another generation. I wonder what kind of generation we are today after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. Cultural and ecclesiastical degradation is inevitable unless there is memorials and deep ponderance of God. Not only culture, but church ecclesiastical. Degradation is inevitable. And at an individual level, our own faith and own relationship with God inevitably hinges on this spiritual discipline. We remember spiritual disciplines of Bible reading and prayer and fasting and giving and different things. But I just really want to hammer home, in light of Thanksgiving, but arguably a great practice every day, is to take time, remember who God is, and what he's done on our behalf. And so we've set the stage. I want to begin to talk about this narrative of Joshua 3, 4, and then quickly at the end we'll tease out three spiritual implications of what the importance of remembrance does for us. We didn't read chapters 3 and 4, but it's one ongoing narrative of the crossing of the Jordan River. The parting of the Red Sea was escape out in deliverance Out of slavery, the crossing of the Jordan River, I always refer to, is going into your destiny. They had been delivered, but their ultimate destiny and the promise going back to Abraham over 400 years. Think about how exciting this must have been. 400 plus years, their father Abraham had been given the promise. I'll make you a father of many nations. You will go into this land that and you will inherit it as I have promised, and I will give it to you. I mean, America's history is not even 400 years, but it had been long suffering, long enduring, long waiting, and finally, we are on the banks of the Jordan River, and this is one of the climactic moments in all of Israelite history. We didn't get to read it, so I want to draw your attention to a few things, the context. In Joshua 3, Verse one, it says that here, they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. Now let's just pause and think about that. They had waited 400 years, 40 years in the wilderness. Why did they lodge and wait for three days? I think God was saying, 400 years. We are at that moment. I'm about to do it. And I think he's giving them a moment to pause and think about their history, all the works of God, and exactly what was at stake and about to happen in three days. Another central figure or key part of this narrative is the Ark of the Covenant. And so The Ark of the Covenant, it symbolizes the presence of God and it was carried by Levitical priests and there was huge and just meticulous instruction on how the Ark of the Covenant should be handled. And so everywhere throughout the wilderness, everywhere they went, the Ark of the Covenant was revered and it symbolized, this is the manifest presence of God. And so if you notice with the Ark of the Covenant and if any of you... Bible nerds kind of recall, you know, what was was inside the box in the ark? Three things, right? There was the jar of the manna, Aaron's butted rod, and two tablets that contained uh, the decalogue. But this was obviously like everywhere they went. Ark of the Covenant was the focal point and attention. And so we come to the Jordan River, and then it says in verse 3, it appears when you see the Ark of the Covenant of Yahweh your God and the Levitical priest carrying it, then you are to set out from your place and follow it. And then Ark of the Covenant is mentioned 17 times in this one, two-chapter narrative. And the writer just absolutely refuses to lose sight of the Ark of the Covenant. And without it, everything just falls apart. And so as... They stood from afar. What literally happened was uh, the Ark of the Covenant was brought, the waters just walled up, up and down the Jordan River. And then the priests came and they, they came on the dry riverbed and then the Ark of the Covenant just paused. Not only was the Ark of the Covenant the central figure, though motionless, Nobody in Israel, not even the priests, had anything really to do with the miracle and Israel going into their spiritual destiny. And what is the Lord saying? The Lord is saying, I alone do it all. I am the central figure. Keep your eyes on me. One million Israelites, and then it goes on to say, how are they to observe God's work? It goes on in verse 4 in chapter 3 that says that you stand at a distance of 2,000 cubits. Don't go near it in order that you may know the way in which you are to go. So you have a million people plus far away standing, sitting, and watching this motionless Ark of the Covenant. As, and as I thought about it, not only God is saying I am the central figure, but he's also saying I want everyone's eyes on me from afar. If they were up close, maybe 100, 200 people would have seen. But as they were 2,000 cubits behind, everyone was gathered, and they were just waiting. What is going to happen? Water walls up. We heard about this. Our descendants experienced the Red Sea. million people crossed through the riverbed. And then at this point, there's a little bit of debate over interpretation. But either way, I think the lesson still holds true. They go to the West Bank, and they're at Gilgal in the Promised Land. And then God says, hey, the Levitical priests are still holding the Ark of the Covenant in the middle of the river. And then it says, go back and lay 12 stones right there to serve as a memorial. And then they would do it again a second time on the West Bank in Gilgal. So, the debate here is like some translations may say, well, they didn't have two memorials, but the language was such that go to the place where the ark is, pick up the stones, and not erect a memorial there, but pick up the stones and take it and put it on Gilgal. But either way, the spiritual implications are the same. The narrative underscores the assurance of Yahweh's power says in verse 10 of chapter 3, By this you will know that the living God is among you, and he will certainly drive out from you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, all the ites found in the promised land. We often remember the things we should forget, and we rarely remember the things that we should remember, or we are prone to forget the things that we should remember. God is saying, this is how redemptive history works. This is an epic moment in Old Testament history. And so that's what happened. Let's just tease out three spiritual lessons and why we should practice the art of remembrance, and then at the end, we'll have a short application. Number one, remembrance increases our love for God. Remember, the Ark of the Covenant, it was just testifying. I have delivered you. I have been merciful. You stood back and had nothing to contribute. I made the waters wall up. I allowed a million people to pass through. By God's hand, everything that's happened in our lives is a testimony of his mercy, kindness, faithfulness, his grace. God is our everything. Everything. And when we remember and ponder properly and deeply, I would say that it can only evoke deep reverence, awe, joy, and love for the Lord. I don't know if Nick peeked at my PowerPoint slides, but I too have Psalm 103. I was going to read verse 1 to 5, but I decided for time's sake just to bring verse 1. And as we heard, a little while ago. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits. And as he mentioned, especially verse 2 to 5, but most of the psalm, it just goes on to say what those benefits are. And it's a repetition of, do not forget, do not forget this, do not forget this, do not forget that. And, and then at the bookends at the beginning and the end are just explosion of, bless the Lord, I worship you. It's emotive. And it's informational as well. Remembrance ought to renew our passion to know God personally. That we appropriate it to our own hearts. The church is filled with programs, rituals, and those are good things. But external things are meant to what? To drive us to the greatest commandment that we want to love the Lord with all that we have within us. We've seen a lot of our fervor lost due to things like busyness. Busyness and ambition can drown and choke out Remembrance and the things of faith. I'm going to share maybe a couple of my own stones and memorials throughout the sermon. Uh, Every August 15th, uh, I take a moment and I reflect on what happened in August 15th of 1990. That was the day God saved my life twice. At a camp uh, in Steubenville, Ohio, uh, we were out in free time and long story short, there was like a, a, a vertical, like a drop down cliff. that was probably about 20 to 30 stories high and stupid whole nother sharing, but I decided to try to make my way down. And about 20 feet into my journey, my foot slipped, the rocks gave out, I was like tumbling. I knew I was dead. And somewhere in that moment, I was religious but didn't know Jesus yet. I remember thinking in my head, literally, I remember screaming like, Jesus, help me! And it was all a blur, but about halfway down this hill, um, my hand grabbed onto, or I believe, (laughs) the root and the branch grabbed onto my hand, and somehow it just stuck. And then I slowly climbed back up, and that's the closest I've ever been to physical death. Little did I know that four hours later, responding to an altar call of Luke chapter 15, supernaturally, a whole other story, but, you know, literally I felt God nudging me and I accepted Christ. And every August 15, I think about that because if I had died on that, Cliff, my eternal destiny would be drastically, drastically different and altered. And God in his kindness then in four hours saved my soul. And so every August 15, there's a deep memorial and a remembrance just to the kindness of God. It wasn't enough for him to just save me physically, but he saved me physically because he wanted to save me me spiritually. And when I think about that, I just can't do that mechanically. And ultimately, it just pierces my heart and renews my affection and my love for the Lord. What stones and what memories do you have that increases your love for the Lord? Secondly, remembrance, it increases our commitment to Secondly, the mission of the church. Where do I get this? We'll look at and tie it to Joshua 3 and 4. But in the 1800s in England, it was a time of spiritual fervor, and a preacher by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he noticed that churches were booming, that there was some revival going on in the UK. And he went and established a magazine called The Sword and the Troll quote, in an effort to keep the focus on the gospel of Jesus and the church's mission to stay true to what the church ought to be. And here's what he wrote in that periodical. He wrote, a chasm is opening. So everyone else is like, wow, churches are growing. Wow, more people. But Spurgeon's take was, a chasm is opening between men who believe their Bibles and men who are prepared for an advance upon scripture. The house, God's kingdom, God's Domain is being robbed. Its very walls are being digged down. But the good people, the religious people, the ones who just want to be warm and cozy and are flocking to church, this is Spurgeon's take, they're too fond of the warmth and too much afraid of getting broken heads to go downstairs and meet the burglars. Love it. What is Spurgeon saying? These 12 stones remind us of, again, God's plan going back Genesis 12 where the Lord said to Abram go from your country 400 years ago and now it's coming to fulfillment and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you make your name great so that you will be a blessing and we know today that the gospel extends beyond Jews but it's included the Gentiles We know, as it says in Isaiah, it is far too small a thing for God's plan of salvation to be limited to the 12 tribes of Israel. You see, the blessing of God has always been tied to the mission of God. The church of Jesus exists not for just programs and rituals. Primarily, the church of Jesus Christ exists for the mission of God. we are a congregation that stands upon the tradition of the great Protestant Reformation of the 16th century. We find comfort in the truth of God's sovereignty and the certain salvation of those who are his. We are committed to the historic Christian faith as summarized in various documents, creeds, catechisms. At the same time, we know that our duty is to love God and our neighbor and we seek guidance from his word as to how to do that in every area of our life. You know where that is? That's our church website. A church's clarity and potency can go only so far as its mission statement. People have died for the gospel and so that it can be established upon the local church. And there ought to be in remembrance a celebration and a reaffirmation and commitment to, it's not just following you, but it's tied to the gospel of Jesus and the mission of the church. My hope and my prayer is, I don't think the world needs more churches. I think the church needs more biblical churches. Biblical orthodoxy? I mean, I heard from Tim, right? Like, sadly, it's become laughing matter, but every church ought to be based on biblical orthodoxy when i see this mission statement for 30 plus years this church has stood when i see pastor nick even if he's only been here two two and a half years i see that he's committed to the deep reformation tradition and that there is a staunch commitment and longing that we aren't here simply to do gatherings and church but we want to win the lost in new york amen Amen. and it's okay if we're like that's a little scary because it's this right here, we will help you to figure it out what it looks like in your daily life, in all aspects of life. But I pray that as you gather and as we do such even today or in our community groups, yes, community, yes, I got friends, yes, let's pray and worship together, but we resolve together to continue the Great Commission, to see kingdom flourishing in New York City in all five boroughs. And to say, I hope if you consider this your church, you want to see the thriving and flourishing of NCGV. Because that's what Jesus died for. And wherever you are in your journey, we welcome you. If you're just kind of figuring out who Christianity is, or like, hey, can I trust these guys? Or, you know, what's the teaching style like and whatnot? Take your time. But you better believe every local church Ought to be and should be radically committed to its mission. I'm so blessed. Um, I know many of you have I've yet to meet, but you know I want to probe Dan. I want to probe Stephen. These guys have some stories here at this church. These guys have experienced the character of God and His wondrous works for decades. <laughs> And these are the things that we need to be reminded of when we gather together. What a great God. He did this in my life. He did that. Look at the history of our church. Faithful is our God. And let's go and let's be agents and vessels to see revival come in New York City. The times we live in are so challenging. We're not even in humanism anymore, but humanism has evolved into full-blown paganism and idolatry, moral decay, New York, the pinnacle of all of these things. But our great conviction has to be that Ecclesia, the church, the called out ones, are indeed the hope of the world. And every time you remember God's goodness of what he's done in your life in this church, it ought to just reinforce our commitment for the mission of God. Where do I see that in this passage? It says in verse 24 at the very end, so that all the peoples of the earth... Joshua knew because Joshua got his directive from the Lord. And what's the Lord saying to you and I as covenant family and people of faith? He's saying, I bless you and I do everything God says so that all the peoples of New York, all the peoples of your neighborhood, all the peoples of your workplace would know that the hand of the Lord is mighty and that you may fear the Lord your God forever. The church exists for the propagation of the gospel. The shortest sentence in the Bible, Jesus wept. That's in the context of what? Right before Passion Week, looking over Jerusalem. He wept because he was about to endure his mission, but nobody understood. I wonder how many tears are shed over New York City that seven million are perishing without Christ. Third thing is, remembrance gives us courage to face our battles. So they piled up their 12 stones. They weren't that impressive, but they were 12 stones, and physically, it was a reminder, visually, what? It was a reminder not only of the faithfulness of God, but Gilgal became an outpost that throughout the book of Joshua, uh, their military general Joshua returned to time after time after time again. And so whether God helped them in the conquest of Jericho in two chapters, or whether in three chapters we see the defeat at Ai, he would come back to Gilgal, whether they won or they lost, it was a constant reminder of God is the one fighting our battles. It's the argument of Romans 8, 32, of lesser to greater. And if God in us spare his only son, will he not give us all things that we need according to his redemptive purpose? The argument here is the lesser. If God brought us this far, will he not, as we see in the 24 chapters of Joshua wipe out all the ites and enemies that we have. See, those ites, they do seem like nine-foot giants in our lives. Many of us are struggling in our faith. Why? Because, yeah, there's some battles. But do you see Goliath, or do you see the sovereignty of God working through your life as a David? The victory belongs to the Lord, So Joshua would fight the battles they'd win. He'd come back to Gilgal, remember the stones. Yeah, God's going to do it. I can have courage. Then he would go out. They would have more conquests in the northern part, in the southern part. He would come back. And if there happened to be a defeat, it didn't shake his faith. He came back and remembered that God cannot go against his promise. And then he would recalibrate his heart. Remembrance not only leads us to greater love for God, Commitment to the mission of the gospel, but no matter what battles, health issues, relational conflict, financial stress, whatever it may be, Christian life doesn't get any easier once we get saved. It just gets better because we have Jesus but I fear that a lot of times we begin to forget and not remember and go down the slippery path into idolatry or, at best, apathy. Maybe we don't have enough compelling stones to remind us, God is faithful, and he's going to fight my battles. The Ark of the Covenant, though motionless, was certainly not impotent. Everybody just stood around and watched And God is saying, it's my show. I'm the one who's going to accomplish this. Do you simply believe? Verse 19, I don't want us to miss out on this little detail. Verse 19 says, it gives us the exact date. The people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. Every time, like, there's an exact date given, there's a reason why. And they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. This was the exact date, 40 years ago, where they selected the Passover lamb. And four days later, the Passover and the Exodus would occur. A commentator by the name of Matthew Henry writes this about. That note. God ordered it so that they should enter Canaan four days before the annual solemnity of the Passover and on the very day when the preparation for it was to begin. Because he would have their entrance into Canaan graced and sanctified with that religious feast and would have them then be reminded of their deliverance out of Egypt, that comparing them together, God might be glorified as the Alpha and Omega of their bliss. What humor of God. The exact date. Double stone reminder. Joshua had a lot to think about and contemplate. And I thought about this, like, let's say maybe one or two went rogue and actually was like, yeah, I want to go back to Egypt. They would slip out and they would have to go back to Gilgal, go try to find their way through the Jordan River. And as they're... Going back to their old ways, they would see the stone and like, oh yeah, (laughs) what a fool I am. Oh yeah. And that they would turn around and put their trust in God. Let me just skip finally just application. Um, The word remembrance in Hebrew, it means remembering with a positive idea And having your heart go out in love and being committed to action. And then it just hit me like a bunch of bricks or stones. When we remember, we... Can we get the next slide? Consider, remember, heart God in love. Draw near until Jesus warms your heart. And then we become committed to action. We hold fast. I think it was two weeks ago uh, when Pastor Nick was talking about Hebrews. It really just hit home to the point where like it becomes a framework. And literally, he says, everything we do is we consider. Remember, think about God. Then we draw near until that memory or that thought or that verse begins to warm your heart like it did to the road on the men at the road of Emmaus that as Jesus unpacked the scriptures it says what? Their hearts were burning inside. And then finally we hold fast. We're able to find courage in our battles. I think that's why remembrance is such an important but yet a neglected spiritual discipline because God calls us 165, 69 times in Scripture to remember, remember, remember why. It's not just for the next generation, although that's part of it, but it's for you and I, so that our love for God can be strengthened. Our commitment to the mission would be strengthened, but our courage to face everyday giants and battles as we go about Christian faith And it's tied here in a very powerful and poignant way. Take time to remember. Thanksgiving is a wonderful time for us to remember. Sunday Sabbath is a wonderful carved out space as we take the table. But I would say if you can even take three, five minutes a day and just think about what is the character of God? What has he done in my life? And if you do it properly, I guarantee your heart will be warmed in love. You will want to be a part of the Great Commission. And you can live another day with strength and joy. In closing, um, uh, I haven't told you much about myself, but in a nutshell, um, almost 20 years ago, my wife then, girlfriend and I, we were dating and Got a call to plant a church in Atlanta. Didn't know anyone, didn't have a place to meet. We just wanted to minister at that time to college students. College students were coming in two weeks. We still had no place to meet. And in 2003, it probably existed, but most people didn't have cell phones, smartphones. I certainly didn't. And I was at a new place, directionally challenged, and I had forgotten. You probably haven't heard of this, but back then, 20 years ago, we would print out uh, directions on this thing called MapQuest. And I remember thinking, I gotta print out directions. I gotta figure out like wh- wh- where ministry is gonna happen. But I-, I just decided, like, okay, I'm in my car. I don't have anything. And I literally told the Lord, Lord, um, you tell me where to turn. You tell me where to go. And I just kept following the Holy Spirit. Ended up like about two blocks off of Georgia Tech campus on a, one of the busiest streets of Atlanta in Midtown called Peachtree Road. And as I was driving, out of the corner of my eye, there was a, a large Methodist church, St. Mark's. And at that moment, God said, this is where you'll meet. Went in, knocked up, um, starting a church. Um, you have any space? And this guy, facility manager, said, well, we're such a busy church. Um, Let me show you the small study den library. What? We gotta worship, we'll sanctuary, we'll take a chapel. And he took me into this small, humble, I don't know, maybe 25 by 20 room. And he said, you wanna use this library? I so, you know, I'm starting, I'm, I'm doing college ministry. Like, I can't afford this. Like, oh, what, 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 what are you asking me? He said, 200 bucks a month. Um, I guess I'll fast forward. And uh, before every time I preach, uh, I remember how God provided. And my thought goes to God wanted his church there. And our first meeting from 15, ultimately going to, I don't know, I guess maybe 400. My thoughts are not like numerical. My thoughts are God was committed to establishing his church. And what became really humbling and where gratitude swelled up was and he wanted to use me. And that centers my heart every time I preach or shepherd or do ministry because I'm reminded just like on the banks of the Jordan, God by faith, yeah, not in a passive way, but essentially I'm just watching what you do and trusting you. In a society where God and his ways are being mocked, people of God, stand your ground. Love the Lord, serve his mission and be strengthened and renewed day by day as you bring to remembrance, considering his works, drawing near in the warming of your heart, and then just going and doing what he's asked you to do. Let me pray.